morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Friday, April the 1st, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Kenya Supreme Court blocks sweeping constitutional changes proposed by President Uhuru Kenyatta. The president cannot initiate constitutional amendments or changes through the popular initiative under Article 257 of the Constitution. That's Kenya's Chief Justice Martha Kome reading the verdict of the judges. In Ethiopia, federal authorities and rebels accuse each other of blocking aid deliveries to the Tigray region. Days after announcing a humanitarian truce, the Ethiopian government accused the Tigray People's Liberation Front of blocking trucks carrying critical food aid to Tigray. Reporter Gelmo Dawit in Addis Ababa. In Ghana, the opposition has filed a lawsuit with the country's Supreme Court after lawmakers passed a controversial tax despite the party's walkout from parliament. We have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, Kenya's Supreme Court has ruled that constitutional amendments that would change the country's political structure are unlawful. The ruling slows efforts by President Uhuru Kenyatta to reshape the country's political future. Mohamed Yusuf has more. In a ruling Thursday, Kenya's Supreme Court blocked changes to the constitution initiated by President Uhuru Kenyatta. Six or seven judges ruled constitutional amendments must come from ordinary citizens, not the president. Following the hotly contested 2017 election that almost placed the country apart, Kenyatta and opposition leader Raila Odinga unveiled a plan they called the Building Bridges Initiative. The initiative will introduce the permanent office of Prime Minister and create 70 new constituencies. The two leaders argued the best way to avoid election-related violence that has plagued Kenya is to create more political positions. But the Supreme Court shot down changes in its ruling Thursday. Chief Justice Martha Kaome read the verdict of the judges. The president cannot initiate constitutional amendments or changes through the popular initiative under Article 257 of the Constitution. Joaquin Dongo, Supreme Court judge, dissenting. Issue 2, the president initiated the amendment process in issue. Joaquin Dongo and Lenaura, Supreme Court judges, dissenting. The Supreme Court agreed with the previous ruling of the two lower courts, the High Court and the Court of Appeal, declaring the initiative unconstitutional. Odinga served as Prime Minister under a power-sharing agreement that followed Kenya's disputed 2007 elections. However, the position was abolished after the 2013 polls. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Ethiopia's federal authorities and rebels in the Tigray region are accusing each other of blocking aid deliveries to Tigray that had been agreed to a week ago. The ongoing fighting comes as the U.S. ambassador to Ethiopia visited the Afar region where the aid trucks had been held up. Gelmo David reports from Addis Ababa. Days after announcing a humanitarian truce, the Ethiopian government accused the Tigray People's Liberation Front of blocking trucks carrying critical food aid to Tigray. More than 40 trucks were due to depart this week from Samara, capital of Afar region. 
but a government statement says the trucks have not slept because Abala Road is close to traffic by TPLF forces. In its own statement, the TPLF said nothing about the trucks but said the government is not committed to implementing the truce it announced, mainly the delivery of humanitarian aid to Tigray. Writing on Twitter, Kendia Gabrahiot, a member of the Tigray regional government, accused the Ethiopian authorities in Addis Ababa of deception and criticized the international community for welcoming the truce without ensuring the government would follow through. Speaking on TPLF media, Geta Choreda, the head of external affairs for Tigray regional government, said tens of thousands of people in Tigray are on brink of starvation. He said the region's population needs urgent, unfettered access to food aid. Meanwhile, Tracy Jacobson, the U.S. ambassador to Ethiopia, visited the Afar region on Thursday. The ambassador met with the Afar regional president Awal Arba and community members to discuss fighting, which has spilled over from Tigray into Afar. According to the U.S. embassy in Addis Ababa, Jacobson pledged continued support from the U.S. toward the region's recovery, including direct humanitarian aid for those displaced by the conflict. It said that in 2022 alone, the U.S. committed more than $90 million for development of the region and urgent humanitarian aid. Galmudawit for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Women's organizations in Zimbabwe are worried about the future of political parties to observe gender parity during elections, as is demanded by the Constitution. Voters went to the polls last Saturday to elect parliamentary and local government seats in the first vote since 2018. From Harare, Rutonde Mawere has this report. Zimbabwe held its by-elections last weekend. According to the body that runs polls, the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission published figures showing that 15.5% of women participated in the local government by-elections, while nearly 21.5% participated in the parliamentary vote held last Saturday. Eva Munando is the chairperson of the Women's Coalition in Zimbabwe. She says as women, they are concerned when political parties ignore the Constitution's clause on gender equality. In 17 is being violated very largely. Gender equality should begin uh, in their political parties. It is worrisome that during the elections, in the number of candidates that were fielded by these political parties, uh, which who are female. We're very low. Monando says that the failure to adhere to the constitution is costing women. As women, surely we feel that we are being left behind. And rather we are taken uh, for granted because in these political parties we are forced to vote for men. If we want to uh, make things better, we need to conscientize these political parties and hold them to account because they are not adhering to the constitution. Linda Masarira is one of the few women who has a political party called Labour Economic and African Democrats or LEAD. Masarira, who contested for the Arari Central constituents and lost, believes they can never be democracy without women. So we really have a lot of work to do to ensure that constitutionalism becomes a reality in this country and not just a book that people will selectively apply as of and when it suits them. It just shows how the political organizations do not respect the constitution of Zimbabwe, supreme law of this land. Virginia Mwanigwa is the chief executive officer for the Zimbabwe Gender Commission. It is a constitutional body that works to ensure that the constitutional goal of gender equality is followed by all stakeholders, including the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, or ZAC. 
guys, the Zimbabwe Gender Commission, we were also concerned when we saw the initial list of the names of the candidates whose names had been put forward and had also gone through nomination with SEC. And what we understood immediately was that obviously whatever the outcome of the elections, the numbers would not be higher than that. Muanigwa says they are already advocating for the so-called zebra system to be used by political parties which outness between women and men for positions of authority. It's a challenge that requires us, Zimbabwe Gender Commission, other players to then focus not so much on the number of candidates' names, but the internal political party uh, processes. However, Rudo Piri, an ordinary person who lives in Arare, says women make up the majority of citizens and should vote for each other. It is so easy to change gender equality narrative. We have more women even in the political parties and they should just support each other by voting for each other. Women constitute about 52% of the Zimbabwe population. The Saturday elections filled in 28 parliamentary and 105 local government council seats that were left vacant due to recalls and deaths of representatives. The opposition made a strong showing in the vote, but women activists say more women should have been selected as candidates. For VOA, this is written Domawere Narare. The Democratic Republic of Congo was officially admitted into the East African community on Tuesday this week as its seventh member. The chairman of the East African community, Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, announced this at a virtual summit of heads of state earlier this week. As Atieno Odiamba reports from Nairobi, both the East African community and the Democratic Republic of Congo are expected to benefit immensely from this collaboration. Four years after its request for admission, the long wait has come to a successful end. With the admission of the Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC, the East African Community, ESC, will significantly expand its mutual benefits for all. Several East African community countries are among the DRC's key African trading partners. Dr. Peter Matuki is the Secretary General of the East African Community. He tells VOA that 11% of goods in DRC come from East Africa. The DRC is projecting an increase to 35% with this new collaboration. The DRC, which shares borders with all East African members except Kenya, is also expected to benefit from reduced tariffs for goods goods received at the ports of Mombasa in Kenya and Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. The people of DRC will be able now, like people of East Africa, to move freely within East Africa, get opportunities in terms of business, but also if you would want to offer your services anywhere, you will not be now be discriminated as a person from DRC, you'll be treated as an East African. This regional economic block, ESC, it is taken as one of the fastest growing, and therefore anyone wishing to invest in East Africa, looking at the African continental market then this is now the time the inclusion of the drc's consumer market of over 90 million people will expand the esc market to almost 300 million and open the block to the congolese economy which is rich in all kinds of natural resources professor masharia munene an international relations expert from kenya says this will be a fundamental gain for the block members the opportunities that countries can exploit in drc are many for one you can invest in the area of 
banking and internet and communication. The construction industry is likely to become very big. Kenyans are likely to take advantage of that. They have big land where big farmers can uh, try their luck and see whether they can grow more and more of the foods that are needed. There are those people who are interested in the mining, the availability of different types of minerals to exploit. According to the East African Community Secretariat, the next step is the signing of the Treaty of Acceptance by April 14, and thereafter depositing of instruments with the East African Community Secretary General within six months. After these steps, the DRC will fully benefit from the bloc like other six member states, comprising of Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Burundi, Rwanda, and South Sudan, Atieno Odhiambo, VOA Debrek Africa, in Nairobi, Kenya. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, Parliament voted to remove Economy Minister Jean-Marie Kalumba from his post. They blame him for the soaring price of basic goods and mismanagement of the fishing industry, among other issues. The minister has 48 hours to present his resignation following the vote of no confidence. The motion signed by lawmakers laid out a raft of complaints, including a lack of a policy to support local fishermen and frequent gas shortages driving up transport prices. And still in the Democratic Republic of Congo, M23 rebels denied shooting down a UN helicopter, killing eight peacekeepers on board. DR Congo's army had blamed M23 rebels for the crash, in which six Pakistanis, a Russian and a Serbian were killed. Spokesman for the military governor of North Kivu province, General Sylvain Nkenge, said that neighboring Rwanda was backing the rebel group, an accusation denied by Rwanda's ambassador to the DRC, Vincent Karega. Mr. Karega told me that there are regional mechanisms in place to verify any such claims. Yeah, there is uh, not only between the two countries, but uh, all the countries uh, grouped under the ICGLR, meaning the International conference for the Great Lakes region, uh, which is actually based in DRC in Goma, a mechanism of a joint verification for any of the allegations from whichever country of um, uh, the grouping of the, the 12 from the ICGLR. So Congo and Rwanda can utilize that um, broad regional mechanism, um, like it can also put ad hoc joint committees from both countries to do um, rapidly the same exercise for the interest of um, much trust and better cooperation. That was Rwanda's ambassador to the DRC, Vincent Karega. He was speaking to me from Kinshasa. The political opposition in Ghana has filed a lawsuit with the country's Supreme Court after lawmakers passed a controversial tax despite the party's walkout from parliament. Ghana's government says the new tax on electronic transactions and transfers will raise money for the pandemic-hit economy. But critics say the tax will discourage trade and adds to the public's economic burden, as Kate Mensa reports from Accra, Ghana. Ghana's opposition National Democratic Congress, NDC, on Wednesday filed suit with the Supreme Court to block the government-backed tax on electronic transfers and transactions. The NDC has called the so-called e-levy of 1.5% regressive and unlawful because there was no quorum in Parliament when it was passed. Opposition lawmakers had walked out of the proceedings in protest. NDC lawmaker Mahama Yariga, one of the plaintiffs, told VOA is hopeful the Supreme Court will declare the tax unlawful. The, the Speaker and the, the 
the majority side knew that they didn't have the number, they hadn't met the quorum, and yet they proceeded and purported to have voted to pass the e-levy. And if there wasn't a quorum, there couldn't have been a decision, and so there could also not have been an e-levy passed. The president has nothing before him to sign into law. In a State of the Nation address on Wednesday, Ghana's president, Akufuado, said the new tax will boost the economy as it recovers from the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite the protracted and sometimes acrimonious nature of proceedings, I'm happy that the House has finally found it possible to pass the e-levy bill. I believe strongly the levy is going to make a significant contribution to revenue mobilization and the management of, our nas- of the national economy. And I want to thank members of the House for making this possible. Authorities say the tax is expected to raise about $900 million by the end of the year. But most ordinary Ghanaians are opposed to the new tax, which will affect anyone using mobile money services. Accra-based second-hand clothing trader Sophia Nani says it will harm a business. She says, what are they using the revenue we generate from cocoa and oil for? Anani says the government wants to tax them on what little money they are making in addition to what the telecommunication companies also deduct as commission. What is our fate? She asked. Some economics argue the government is wrong to burden Ghanaians with new taxes while they are still recovering from pandemic restrictions and disruptions. Director of Research at the Accra-based Institute of Economic Affairs, IEA, John Kwachi says the government should instead focus on improving tax collection. There are several loopholes in our tax system that if they were plugged, we will be able to raise our tax uh, to GDP ratio to something like 20%. We are now doing just about 12%. So to me, uh, if these other measures were, were being taken, I don't think that even the e-levy will be necessary. Ghana's Supreme Court is expected to hold a hearing on the opposition's challenge to the new tax in the coming weeks. Kent Mensah for VOA News, Accra, Ghana. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. Mali's military government this month banned popular French radio and TV broadcasts after Radio France International reported on alleged rights abuses by the Malian army and Russian mercenaries. The restrictions come as press freedom advocates cite a worrying trend of pro-Russian propaganda in countries where the mercenaries are working with government forces. Anit Risenbach reports from Bamako. On March 18th, the director of information at Joliba TV News, Mohamed Ataher Halidou, made a televised address from the station's Bamako studio. Halidou asserted that a free press plays an important role in democracy, and he criticized the lack of condemnation by Malian media organizations over the ban of French broadcasts. This came days after Radio France International and France 24 television were taken off the air in Mali. The government banned the broadcasts in response to reports by RFI on human rights abuse accusations against Mali's army and mercenaries from the Wagner Group, a private Russian military contractor. Speaking to VOA, Halidou says there is widespread self-censorship in Mali, as both civilians and journalists fear reprisal from Mali's military rulers. Today, he says, fear has changed everything. Because journalists, even before writing an article, start to think, what am I going to say in this article? Is it going to bother those in power? There is this pressure now that weighs on journalists, he says. Freedom of expression is threatened. There is nothing worse for a journalist than to self-censor, he says. 
Mali's government has refused to grant accreditation to foreign journalists in recent months, deported a French reporter, and imprisoned an economist after he spoke to the press about international sanctions that have been imposed on Mali. Annie Reisenberg for VOA News, Bamako, Mali. Now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports, and with that we go to Abuja, Nigeria with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good morning, morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sports news in Qatar, where the five African countries that have qualified for the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 will know their group opponents later tonight at the final draw in Doha. African champions, the Taranga Lions of Senegal, the Indomitable Lions of Cameroon, Ghana's Black Stars, Atmas Lions of Morocco and Tunisia's Carthage Eagles booked their sports for the World Cup following Tuesday night's second leg of the FIFA World Cup playoffs. All the 32 sides that will be involved in the tournament will be drawn into eight groups of four for the tournament that will be played in November and December 2022. Host nation Qatar, as it is, the norm will be placed in position one of the group A of the draw. Egypt forward and Liverpool star Mohamed Salah has hinted that he will retire from international football after failing to qualify for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. The 29-year-old fell to Sadoumani's Senegal in the playoff, missing the penalty in the final shootout after being targeted by what felt like 1,000 laser pointers. After the game, the Liverpool star gave a heartbreaking speech in the dressing room in which he suggested he may not be part of the team in future. And to Nigeria, where Augustine Iwavan has stepped down as Nigeria's boss after the Super Eagles failed to qualify for the 2022 World Cup. Nigeria were eliminated on the away goals rule following a 1-1 draw with Ghana in Abuja in the second leg of their playoff on Tuesday. Coach Iguavan was placed in interim charge of the side in December following the sacking of long-serving coach Gareth Roy. He led the team to the last 16 at the African Cup of Nations this year and was then tasked with reaching the World Cup finals in Qatar. Staying with the World Cup playoffs, Algeria's Football Federation has requested that the second leg of their 2022 World Cup playoff against Cameroon be replayed amid complaints about refereeing decisions. The North Africans were eliminated on the way goal rules after a 2-1 defeat after extra time in Blida on Tuesday with Cameroon forward Carl Toko Akambi scoring the winner in the 124th minute. The Algerian Football Federation issued a statement on Thursday after it demanded a replay of the game, citing outrageous refereeing decisions by Gambian Bakari Gassama, which, according to them, skewed the result of the game. Away from football news now to basketball. The first edition of the FIBA National Youth Camp, which took place across eight African countries, came to an end this week in Burkina Faso. The camps, which were held in Guinea, Mauritius, Mozambique, Uganda, Algeria, Chad, DR Congo and Burkina Faso were set up to help national federations detect new talent and build development programs for local players and coaches. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. Thank you, Samson, and have a great weekend. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. You can also connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and on YouTube. 
Until next week, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you a great weekend ahead, Africa. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including a new round of peace talks aimed at ending Russia's invasion of Ukraine began in Turkey. As Russia shelling continues throughout Ukraine, despite the Kremlin announcing new battle plans focused on the eastern region. Join us for issues in the news this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny and on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports. Or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on The Voice of America.